Good morning, Transit Church. Good morning, Transit Church. I'm going to be reading today's word. My name is Solomon, and one of the members here. We're going to be reading from Acts 14, 19 to 28. You can read along with me if you want. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing, supposing that he was dead. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed, in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Paga, they went down to Atalia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of, the, of God for the work they had, they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Solomon. It's beautiful. Oh, I'm good. Okay, got a mic. Uh, how's everyone doing today? Are we good? Y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Anyone get that mac and cheese they wanted uh, they said last night? Yeah, good mac and cheese. My pops fried a turkey. It was amazing for the glory of Jesus, okay? So uh, we're going to be in Acts 14, uh, verses 19 through 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. And uh, today we have an awesome opportunity to kind of look at the final chapter of Paul's first missionary journey. They're going to they're close out their travels, slowly travel back all the way they came. And then the scene ends, our text ends today with this beautiful family reunion at the church at Antioch, where they share all that God had done with them. And uh, uh, I was on vacation this whole week. My family went to my parents' cabins, and so I'm going to need your help preaching uh, this morning. So I want to ask a, not a rhetorical question, but I want to ask a real question that I need a real response. Uh, the context of our text, who remembers, if you were here last week, who remembers where we left off Paul and Barnabas last week? What was the name of the town? Lystra. I heard a whisper. Lystra. Yes, Lystra. What happened in Lystra? Shout it out. What happened? What are some things that we saw last week in our text? Paul got stoned. Thought they, were, thought, they thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. They worshiped them, right? Anything else? Anything else you guys remember? Some guy got healed. Yes. Okay, so what we saw, I'll, I'll recap, just making sure that you're with us. Uh, a recap of where we're at in our text today is that Paul and Barnabas are in the region of Galatia, uh, which is a modern-day Turkey, and uh, they were uh, in Lystra, which is a small kind of frontier outpost of the Roman Empire at the time. It was uh, primarily a pagan area. There were no synagogues, not uh, a heavy Jewish population there. The only worship center was a, a, a temple to Zeus at the, the city gate. And they go, they preach the gospel there, they preach the kingdom, and a, a man who is crippled from birth gets healed. And instead of a revival breaking out, a riot of sorts breaks out, and everyone begins to worship Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. And even the uh, chief priest to Zeus in the temple comes rolling like a bunch of oxen deep, and they're about to offer some sacrifices to some pagan demonic gods. And uh, then, on top of that, um, the Jews come all the way from Antioch and Iconium, and they stir up the crowd and, uh, uh, with violence against Paul to the point that they stone him to the point of death and drag his kind of lifeless body all the way to the outskirt, outskirts of the city and leave him for dead. And so all to say, the reason I share all that is where we're at in our story today, uh, in Paul's, uh, not in our story, but in, in the God's history and acts, is um, everything kind of is hanging in the balance, right? Where, where, where Paul's on the floor on the outskirts of the city pretty much lifeless on the outskirts of Lystra. And the question that is going to frame out our time today is, how will Paul respond? How is he going to respond when he heals up and rises up from the ashes? What's he going to do? If we're honest with ourselves, if I was in Paul's shoes after, after that happened to me, I'm going, hey, this is not what I signed up for, 
right? I got some homies and some family members in Tarsus, not too far from here. I'm going to travel there. I'm going to uh, make an honest living, you know, doing some tent making, uh, find a good wife, settle down, get a good home, and, uh, you know, play this thing out, live the Tarsus dream, and no longer be dodging rocks that are coming at me at 60 miles per hour. That sounds like a great way to live my life. Like, I'm out. Like, this is not what I signed up for, Jesus, uh, being stoned to the point of death, persecution, and violence done against me. But the most shocking thing happens in our text. Can you show the map, if the map's ready to be shown? Yes. So what happens in our text today is if you were to look at, find Lystra on the map, that's where Paul's lifeless body is, uh, the point of our text. And instead of him making a beeline to Tarsus and running home to mommy and licking his wounds and saying, deuces, Jesus, I'm out of here, I didn't sign up for this, what does he do? He wakes up the next day and he travels to Derby, limping probably the whole way, maybe a broken arm, bloodied face, scars all over his head. And he preaches the gospel. He does the exact same thing that almost got him killed in Lystra. And many disciples, they make many disciples. And then what do they do? What we saw, what Solomon just read in our text is that Paul and Barnabas, they double, they double back. And so then they go, they travel once. They make a ton of disciples in Derbys and plant a church there. Then they go to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. They go right back to enemy territory where the Jews are stirring up persecution and hostility against them. They go right back into the belly of the beast, encourage and strengthen the church, establish elders in those churches. And if we were um, to ask the question, how is this response possible? To be persecuted to the point of violent death and yet wake up the next day and continue to contend for the faith, to fight the good fight of faith. How is that possible when you and I face tribulation to do the same? When trial and tribulation and suffering and persecution comes our way, what are some things that we can glean from our text today to keep fighting the good fight of faith? And I think there's four things I want to look at this morning in our text. Four things to frame out our time, and then we're going to pray and dive in. Um, not if tribulation comes, but when tribulation comes. One, we need to receive the support we need from the body of Christ. Two, we need to redirect our focus in our suffering. Three, we need to reframe our expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And lastly, fourthly, we need to resolve to anchor our joy in knowing and walking with Jesus. So receive the support, redirect our focus, reframe our expectations, and resolve, double down, to anchor our joy in knowing Jesus. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we come before you with mouths full of praise and thanksgiving. We're on the heels for some of us. Uh, our bellies were full of food and our hearts were filled with gladness. And we saw last week that that's directly from your hand. That's your goodness and your grace and your kindness to us. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're the giver of all good things. And we, uh, as the body of believers, we come Holy Spirit. Have your way with our hearts. Our hearts are open to you and, and your word and what you want to say with our to our minds and in our hearts, Lord Jesus, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come. And for those who have been walking through a season of great distress and suffering and tribulation, that Holy Spirit, the God of all comfort, that you would comfort them in their affliction. Lord Jesus, that they would experience the depths of the riches of your presence and kindness and grace to them in the midst of their trials. And that you would, you would strengthen our resolve, God. You would uh, impart to us some gospel grit, Lord God, that you would, you would say, arise, O weary warriors. Arise, O weary warriors, and keep contending. Keep fighting the good fight of faith, for I am with you. May we hear that refrain. May you instill that in our bones this morning, Lord Jesus. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come, that you'd magnify Jesus, just like we sang today, that we'd look to him, we'd fix our eyes upon him, and that I would decrease, I would decrease and be forgotten, and that you would increase in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. All right, so point number one is when we face tribulation, we need to humbly be willing to receive the support we need. Verse 20 of our text, but when the disciples gathered about him, meaning about Paul's lifeless body on the outskirts of Lystra, he rose up. When they gathered around him, he rose up. I love the unambiguous causation in this verse. If we were to ask, well, how did Paul rise up? Often we can deify Paul. He's like some demigod. We, we can maybe look to Paul and be like, man, he's a Rambo Christian. You know, like, like he's on the outskirts, but like he just rises from the ashes you know, and pulls himself up by his own bloody bootstraps and just gets back to it. And the bottom line is that's not what we see in the text at all. 
what we see in the text is baby believers in Lystra, like, like, like a couple weeks old in the faith, infancy, led by Barnabas, at risk to their own safety, find where they laid Paul to die. And they gather around him. They lay hands on him. They pray over him. Instead of dragging him back to the town, they pick him up. They give him a first century urgent care experience maybe at somebody's house. One night stay, and he's back on the road to Derby. And the bottom line is this. If the church of Jesus Christ doesn't rally around Paul, he doesn't rise up. If the body of Christ does not come and support Paul in this instance, very well, there is no second and third missionary journey. Very well, through Paul, there is no gospel going to the nations. Very well, uh, obviously the Lord is sovereign. He can raise up who he wants. But just saying how God mightily used Paul, we very well might not be here in this room today. So Paul is not a self-made man. It was the body of Christ rallying around him at great risk to their own safety. It's this beautiful picture. When the disciples gathered around him, then he rose up. And so our first application today is this, is in your tribulation, in your trial, in your suffering, whatever that is for you, one of the biggest keys to you not just surviving but thriving in and through that season is humbly receiving the help and the support you need from the body of Christ. That's just, that's just Christianity 101. And what we need to, to realize is that the church of Jesus Christ this eternal family, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is God's idea. This is God's idea. And not just that, this is God's gift to the world, the church, you and me, the temple where his presence dwells, the gift to the, church, the, to, to the world, but also the gift to you and I. Like exhibit A, we here today, for those of us that were worshiping, led by the workmen and the worship team, the, the gift that the worship team is to us is all of us who were able to be filled with the Spirit, being led to praise our Savior, to fix our eyes upon him, that blessing came horizontally. That came through brothers and sisters in Christ practicing and getting here early and tearing and leading us in exaltation of our king, God's gift to us. So, we, so here's the thing is that we need each other. We need the church. I need the church. And you need the church as well. We can't ghost the body of Christ. We can't even follow Jesus faithfully and trash his bride and cancel his bride. It's impossible. It is virtually impossible to follow Jesus while ghosting his bride. Because all the one another's in scriptures can only be obeyed in community. If we're shoulder to shoulder, eyeball to eyeball, mourning with those who mourn, celebrating and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And the reason I share all that is one of the biggest temptations we face when suffering comes or uh, sin struggles or tribulation is often what I see in my pride is and self-preservation is what we do two things. We isolate, we withdraw, and then we double down on our own willpower. So we isolate. I don't want anyone to see my mess. I don't want anyone to think that I'm not really holding up that well. And then secondly, I'm going to double down on my own willpower to do it alone so that I can get myself out of this without any help from anybody else. And uh, anyone here been four-wheeling before? Yes, a couple of y'all. Yeah, anyone here been accidentally four-wheeling, like the wrong turn and got stuck? We had this, this discussion, I won't name who, but uh, someone who went accidentally four-wheeling in a Honda Civic and got stuck in some mud. Uh, anyways, uh, your pastor does not go four I don't have like a Jeep that's like all tricked out, and you know, I'm not, like I don't have that kind of income. Uh, anyways, uh, to... <laughs> To just trash a $50,000 car in the mud. Anyways, but I know some people that did in the past, and I would go with them. It's amazing. And so if you've been four-wheeling and you've gotten stuck in the mud uh, and you're not as prepared as you should be, uh, there's two things that happen. One, you don't want anyone else to know about it. And you want to get out of there as quickly as possible, right? So you isolate. You're like, dude, we got to get this thing out of here. Like, push, push. And then, and then someone's in the driver's seat, and the mud's getting all in your face, and you're, you know, you're getting a mouthful of mud, hair full of mud. Your eyebrows are all caked in mud. It's crazy uh, if you don't have hair. Anyways, and uh, so you're doing everything you can to get this thing out of here before anyone gathers and comes because it's embarrassing. I don't want anyone to see my mask. I don't want anyone to see I'm stuck. And you double down on willpower for hour after hour after hour. And the only way, and if you've been stuck in the mud, you know often that the more you try to double down by doing it yourself, the deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper you go. Amen? Maybe some of you have been there. And uh, the bottom line is this. Until we humbly express our need for some help to carry our burdens of life, 
things we're walking through, and not just express that need, but to confess our inability to walk through it alone, we're going to stay stuck. And we're not going to receive the care and support we need in that tribulation. So my question to you, uh, before we shift to the next uh, point, is this, is, is what season of, of suffering or tribulation are you walking through right now? And then my follow-up question to be, would be this, who are you inviting in? Who are you inviting into that tribulation? Who are you inviting into that sin struggle? Who are you inviting into that sorrow? And not just inviting in, but who are you seeking out to help you carry your burdens? Galatians 6, 2 through 3 is crystal clear that the body of Christ exists to help each other carry our burdens. Carry each other, bear one another's burdens. And that's how we actually fulfill the law of Christ. The greatest commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we fulfill that? By carrying each other's burdens. I can't help you carry a burden that you're not confessing you have. If you are continually hiding your burdens and everyone thinks you're hunky-dory, then, then you're, you're robbing us of the opportunity to come alongside you and help you carry this burden. And then secondly, we see that bearing one another's burdens is linked to humility. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Saying that if you think you, can, if you, think you don't have any burdens and then you can walk life alone, uh, then you're deceiving yourself. We need each other. God's gift to you is the body of Christ. And so if you're here in a season today uh, of, a, of a sin struggle or a tribulation, maybe a ton of persecution at work, uh, don't, uh, where's my, uh, where's my, uh, oh, this is what I want to say. Ah, sorry, I lost my place in my notes. What I want to say to you today is come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. We all have messes. That's what the, the beauty of the gospel frees us to come out of hiding. Because what the gospel says is the only reason we're here is because Jesus Christ redeemed us from our mess is that we're all messy, and he's continued to redeem us from our mess so that I can come to you and say, hey, I need help. I need help. So come out of hiding. Come out of hiding, and don't suffer alone. Get the help you need. Step one would be, I would say, come forward for prayer after the service. That's an act of humility and confession, humbling yourself in front of everyone, saying, I'm a man in need of help. I'm a man in need of prayer. So if this is resonating with you, if you need help, you just want someone to pray for you, there'll be people to pray for you after the service. Secondly, reach out to those in your community group, community groups. If you have community group leaders or you have a couple friends in your community group, that's what community is for, to live out and to model Galatians 6. We help carry one another's burdens. And lastly, uh, God's blessings and God's healing grace often comes horizontally. And so we have a prayer. We have an inner healing and prayer team. Come talk to me about how you can come. We're, having some, uh, the, we're seeing the Holy Spirit do some amazing things, bringing uh, deliverance and healing to people. We have so many testimonies that we're hopefully going to start sharing here uh, in, uh, in December. We will share them at the member meeting, but uh, we're prayerfully thinking how we should share it because God's doing a lot of things visibly, but there's a whole lot going that uh, behind the scenes that the Lord is doing. So come. Don't come out of hiding. Get the help you need. The church is here for you. It's God's gift to you. Second point is this is one, in our trial, we need to humbly receive the support and care we need in the body of Christ. And then secondly, in our trial, we need to redirect our focus. We need to redirect our focus. Often another huge temptation in tribulation is an obsession with ourselves and with our suffering, right? Like there's a constancy of pain. Like some of you have walked through crazy physical affliction. And every second of every day, there's just a constancy of the pain, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. And the constancy of the pain often creates a constancy of inward focus. And I've been there, right? We've been there. If you've, I mean, someone's over here in a, you know, in a sling, just had shoulder surgery, right? And uh, I've had three. And I jo we were joking earlier about how, for some reason, whenever you have hip surgery, or, or uh, I've also had a hip surgery, but when you have a, a shoulder surgery, for some reason, people always come up to you and slap you on the shoulder and shake you around. It's like the weirdest thing ever. I've had that happen multiple times. Uh, I digress. Uh, anyway, where was I? Okay. And the result, the result of focusing on ourselves and on our suffering is often we're miserable in our suffering. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no comfort. There's uh, this, this, this cocktail of true, genuine pain, but also grumbling and complaining. Now, quick disclaimer. Praying, why me, why me, why me prayers are totally biblical prayers to pray. The psalmist, go read Psalms. So, like the psalmist, when Jesus says, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? He took that from the Psalms, right? That, that's like we've been in those seasons, and Jesus, the reason he came was to open up his arms to the weary and the heavy laden and say, come to me with your why me prayers. Come to me. But I think the beauty of what Jesus does is, is as you come to him, 
with all of these why me, why me, why me things. And it's not going to happen like this. Maybe it will happen like this. But in months or years, he'll slowly take us from that place to why me, why me, why me, to it's not about me. It's not just about me and my suffering. And what we see in the New Testament is Scripture actually encourages the opposite. I'm here today as a man under the authority of Scriptures, giving you the Scriptures. And New Testament suffering, uh, what we're encouraged to do is actually the opposite of complaining and grumbling. We're actually called to rejoice. To rejoice because here's what scripture teaches us i don't have time to quote romans 5 and james 1 or first peter 1 or a bunch of other scriptures but our, what we learn about suffering as believers is our suffering will not be wasted our suffering is doing something for us our suffering in the moment is doing something efficacious something beneficial something sanctifying both to us but then also through us through us for the good of others, neither which would have happened unless we walked through tribulation, right? The, sanctif the sanctifying, fortifying, like James 1, Romans 5, it's awesome, like rejoice. And obviously, like if you're in a trial here, you're like, I've read that. It doesn't really give me encouragement. But what we see is that there's a, there's a, a fiery forging of it. what it says is character, endurance, steadfastness, like that only comes through the fires of tribulation. So if you've been praying, Lord, give me endurance, give me a gospel grit, give me steadfastness, you got to be careful praying that prayer because it seems as if scripture is saying there's only one way that comes about in your inner man is through the trials by fire, the various tribulations. That's how that comes about. And in that we rejoice. And returning to our text today, Look at the fruit. It serves us well to slow down and look at the thousands of thousands of years of fruit that have come from Paul's suffering to the church throughout the ages. And not just for thousands of years, but what we see to the churches, the baby churches in Galatia. Verse 21. And when Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to Derbe and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And again, look at that map we showed earlier. Uh, there's a beautiful picture of Paul boldly retracing his steps back into enemy territory where he was persecuted and almost killed. And what he does there is he strengthens and encourages the church. If you look at the verses, it says in verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. When do you need to be strengthened? When you're weak. When do you need to be encouraged to continue? When you, when you don't want to take another step. When you're weak. When you want to give up. When you want to slow down. Right? That's when you need that. And I think uh, based off of what Paul is doing to these churches, we see that they're already fearful of persecution. In Iconium. In Antioch, in Lystra, like the Jews that hated Paul and Barnabas certainly hate his, his little followers, this thing called the, the way, the Christians, the little Christ that have gathered. And maybe some of them are already facing that persecution. And so the question that we want to ask is this, is in order to encourage the weak and the faint-hearted, which Paul, which Paul would these persecuted believers need the most? to encourage and strengthen them. Why don't I just tell you which one they don't need? What wouldn't encourage baby believers who are facing persecution for following Jesus? What wouldn't encourage them is Paul rolling in on a $60,000 chariot. He's all orange because he's getting a spray on tan. His hair slicked back, right? And, uh, and he, says, he says to them, listen, so into my ministry and all this pain will go away, right? That doesn't encourage someone who's in the trenches. You know, you want to know God's gift to these baby believer churches that we're going to walk through some fiery trials in the first century persecution that have come both from the Jews and from Rome? It's Paul coming back a swollen, black-eyed, limping mess, right? Scars on his face, black eye face, maybe swollen. Uh, uh, maybe his, his arm's still broken. He's not walking with a limp. 
He's coming back a little bit skinnier from all of his journeys, and he can say something to these persecuted, weary, fearful believers, and he can say something that uh, orange uh, spray tan Paul couldn't tell him. And it's, I've been right where you're at, and I completely understand what you're going through. And listen, Christ has sustained me through I've gone before you through this fiery trial, and you need to know today that Christ, you will experience the depth of the presence of God like you've never experienced in, in the fiery furnace. You want a fourth man in the fire? Well, it's, when God, it's only when you're in the fire that you truly understand the depths of his comfort and his grace and his presence in your life. And if he sustained me through that fire and I rose up to the ashes to go the next day and to still see the gospel advance, he can do that in your life as well. A weary, wounded warrior coming back and saying, be of good courage. Take heart. Our God has not abandoned us. He is with us, and it's through many tribulations that we will walk to glory, but he's going to be with us the entire time. That's the Paul that the church needs. That's the Paul that these believers facing persecution need. He's saying, family, look. A father looking to his kids maybe an Iconium, maybe they lost their job or their neighbors are, are threatening them and leaving stuff in their front yard or graffiti or, you know, whatever. Father looking at his kids and, and they see Paul all been proclaiming God's goodness and faithfulness through the suffering, saying, kids, look, look at that man. Joy, faith, courage, confidence in the face of persecution is possible because that man is flesh and bones just like you and me flesh and bones just like me, but he's got a big God, and that God's going to be with him in his trials and suffering just as much as he's going to be with us. And so all that to say, Paul's focus in his suffering was never just about his suffering, and because of that, his suffering was used to change the landscape of the church and of history forever. Paul's focus in his suffering throughout the New Testament letters was always on God being glorified and the church being edified and the lost being savified, all right? That's what we see, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brother, Paul's in jail. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's Paul's focus? Jesus and the gospel and the church being emboldened. It's not just his chains. He's not writing a woe is me letter to the Philippians. Send help. He's saying praise. He's praising God. Look at what God is doing through the suffering. Through the suffering. His refrain is not why me. His refrain is it's not about me. Look how Christ is being exalted. The lost are being found and the church is being emboldened. And so my question before we move on is this. Is in your tribulation, what has, what has consumed your focus? What is often, often when we are to live the beholding life, beholding Jesus on a daily basis, the world in pain and tribulation wants to fix our gaze and have us obsess about something else. And suffering, it just rips our gaze and it says, focus on this pain and suffering. What is that? What's been your focus in this season? Off of Christ and our one who has promised that he has overcome the world or on all of our circumstances. And then let me ask us this follow-up question. What would it look like in the midst of the trying, difficult, confusing situations that some of you are navigating, what would it look like for you and I to change our prayers to this, God, give me opportunities to use this suffering to minister to others and to testify of your faithfulness in the midst of it. Because here's the bottom line, the biggest area that God's going to use in your life for personal ministry and blessing to others, the greatest area of ministry that you're going to have to others is the mess God redeemed you from, not all your successes. It's not your successes that people need when they're down in the dirt. They need, they need a story of, hey, this is what God has done in my mess. And he's still cleaning up my mess, but he's taken me from the miry clay and he set my feet on solid ground. And what he did if to me in my mess, he can do for your mess. That's good news. Not just, oh, I'm a hunky door, all this success. No, no, the greatest area of ministry that God's going to use are some of your greatest weaknesses, some of your greatest sin struggles, some of your greatest sorrows. And you're going to see God's going to line up opportunities, line up opportunities for you to use that suffering to encourage those who are going through what you've gone through and come out the other side fortified, strengthened, and still raising your hands and saying, it is well with my soul. Christ is Lord and he is with me, okay? Next one. Three, not if, but when tribulation comes, we need to reframe our expectations of what it means to be 
a follower of Jesus. We look at verse 22 in our text. When Paul goes to all the baby churches there, he's establishing elders, he's encouraging and strengthening them. What does he say in verse 22? He says in verse 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's quite the day brightener, Paul, right? Through many tribulations. Paul's not giving a, uh, a, a word of encouragement of here's seven highly effective steps to unlocking your most blessed, best life now kind of message, right? He says this. What does he say? Let's, let's slow down here. He says, through through, not around, not over, not under, not outside of. He says, bullseye, dead center, through. Through what? Through many. Not none, not some, not a little. Many meaning more than you and I would ever want. Many, what? Tribulation. Through many tribulations. Thankfully in the Greek, if you actually study Greek, in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, what tribulation actually means is tribulation. <laughs> it actually means tribulation. Dang it, yes. It can't make it say something uh, it can't say. Sorrow. What's a tribulation? It's something you don't want. It's something you don't want to walk through. It's something that you, you hope God zaps you out of through many tribulations. And often the reason suffering is so hard for us and hard for us to handle is because we think it's not part of the deal. We have these false expectations of what it means to follow, be a follower of Jesus. Uh, meaning this, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus would never, ever have me walk through any kind of pain and suffering. Is that true? Because the prophetic word that came in Antioch about two years ago, prior to where we're at in our text today, uh, was a word from the Lord set apart me for Paul and Barnabas and it was the Holy Spirit who got Paul stoned. Put that in your framework. God obeyed the Lord, and it got him almost killed. And he was obeying the Lord. It was God's idea, this missionary journey. Through many tribulations, Scripture and our Savior teach the exact opposite of uh, Jesus giving us just comfort and safety at all costs. Uh, take the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I have a ton of message, sermons, the Scriptures to say, but i got to speed up. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter it by, by it are many. But the gate, for the gate is narrow. And this is Jesus. The way is hard. That leads to life. It's hard. Be of good cheer. Christian, if life is hard, you might be going in the exact right direction. In the footsteps of your Savior who has told you to take up your cross and follow him. And those who find it are few. You might be saying, oh, man, this is so mean, Jesus. This is so harsh, Paul. Why Many tribulations, suffering, the way is hard. Why does it have to be hard? Right? Why? And uh, who here enjoys road trips with your family? Anyone like that? You just, like, you'll just pack up your stuff, and you're kind of bored. Like, let's just go on a six-hour journey with all of our kids. Right? Said no one ever, okay? So this Thanksgiving, we went on a road trip. We uh, saw Jen's family in the Shenandoah Valley, saw my family. It was amazing. It was awesome. And about literally my wheels hit the ground probably five minutes into us leaving our house. Wheels hit the ground at 495. And what's the million-dollar question you get asked on a road trip by little ones? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you're going, yes, yes, we are here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, no, not even close. Not even close. It would be cruel of me as a father in that moment to lie to that person to try to encourage them and butter them up. It would be cruel as a father. Say, so, oh, no, it'll all be hunky-dory. A, a great rainbow's going to come and scoop down with Skittles, and, like, in five minutes we'll be at the, you know. No, that's not going to happen. What I do as a father in that moment is I set expectations. I say, listen, I say, listen, we've got a long journey ahead. All right? So you buckle up. Eat some goldfish. No, we're not going to be playing baby shark for two hours. I can't handle that. <laughs> Buckle up, but what you need to know is this. Daddy's going to be with you. It's going to be all right. And listen, if you want to go, hear this, church. If we want to go, through many tribulations comes the kingdom. The kingdom. When I look at my kids, I say, if you want to go where Daddy wants to take us, to, to that beautiful place, my favorite place on the planet, the cabin with all the family and the good food, modeling in this illustration, the kingdom of God. If you want to make it there, there's only one route to take, and it's a long journey. But it's all going to be worth it. And you have to trust me. If there was another way, I would, I would love for there to be another way, but there's not. And Jesus is saying to his followers, listen, 
in this sin-cursed, demonically infiltrated world, there's only one way to the kingdom of God because we now are pilgrims here. When you come to know Jesus, this world is not your home anymore. It will be our home eventually, but right now, we're pilgrims on this journey. And the only way, the only route that we can take to enter the kingdom of God is through many tribulations. The way is hard that leads to life. And I think, um, uh, let me find my place my notes. I don't want to miss this one talk, this one, uh, one thought, and then we'll move a little bit quicker here. Church, what we have to wake up to, hear, hear my heart in this, is we have to wake up to the fact that we're born into the middle of a war, that there's a battle raging for your soul. Scripture's crystal clear. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's written to Christians. No, no, no. The enemy has not been defanged. He has not been declawed. Yes, he's been disarmed, and God's given us power and authority, but see, he still has real power to really influence the natural realm and our own lives. Otherwise, Peter is, otherwise the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter 5 is lying to us. If there's no threat, then there's no reason to give uh, a heads up. If there's no threat, there's no reason to give a heads up. The enemy is prowling around. So one, we need to realize there's a battle going on for our souls, and two, that there's a battle going on for the souls of the world that we're called to go storm the gates of hell. And so when Jesus says the way is hard, that leads to life, he says, buckle up, church. Put your mouth guard in, armor up, and fight the good fight of faith. Behold, I am with you, and on this side of glory, a battle awaits. And on the other side, glory awaits. But it is a battle for souls of men. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but against the unseen. And there's a battle going on. And so arise, weary warriors. Let's reframe our expectations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, we have his presence. Yes, we rejoice in that. And yes, we also... Uh, march into battle, sometimes in weary seasons, saying, wow, why is this so difficult? Well, because we're, we're advancing against the gates of hell, which are actively against the work of the gospel going forth, okay? So let me move on to my fourth and last point, which is this. Resolve in our tribulation, we need to resolve to anchor our joy in walking with and knowing Jesus Christ. We need to resolve to anchor our joy in walking with Jesus. Uh, our text ends with this beautiful picture of a family reunion at the church at Antioch where probably after a year and a half to two years these weary gospel warriors Paul and Barnabas come home to their brothers and sisters in Christ at the church in Antioch long beards probably super skinny from all their travels and not eating like not eating too much and and maybe some scars and a limp and they're rejoicing, they're weeping, they're hugging, they're crying, they're embracing, they're celebrating. Every, and everyone in Antioch's on the edge of their seat. We want to hear what happened. We want to hear what happened, right? And this is what we see in verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they, they declared all that God had done with them. How he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And I love that line. I love that last line. What they declared was this. They declared all that God had done with them, with them. That through everything they endured, both the stoning, the, the suffering, and all the gospel kingdom advancing successes, God was with them in the green pastures, and God was with them in the valley of the shadow of death. All that God had done with them. And so their retelling of the story is almost this adventure with God. It's like, hey, we just went. We just went to these unreached people groups, Cyprus, and then northbound into Asia Minor, Turkey, and, and we just went with God, and God did all these amazing things. We saw a Roman proconsul come to know Jesus. We saw this one guy blinded. We saw hundreds come to know Jesus in Galatia. We saw a crippled man healed, and then, and then they, they share the funny story of, like, everyone thought we were Zeus and Hermes. It was hilarious, blah, 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 all this stuff, but then I almost, got, I almost got killed. All of these things, just sharing story after story after story. And a question that I want to ask us, church, is this. At the end of our lives, at the end of our lives, say we're gathered, or, uh, we're grandparents, and we got our kids and our grandkids there, or maybe we know it's going to be like the last family reunion before we go to be with Jesus, and we're around the campfire, maybe around a Thanksgiving uh, 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 vacation, and one of the grandkids asks, Grandpa, tell us some stories. What stories do you want to share at your deathbed? What do you want to be, what do you, what do you want to be remembered? See, often, often in our Christian life, though our framework for how we interact with God is we, we rejoice and we celebrate and we, 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 we fix our joy on uh, all that God is, does, does for us to advance our kingdoms. Oh, God's provided me with this. God's, like, amen, like he's provided, it's scriptural. But what we see, Paul and Barnabas' joy 
was rooted in not just that God did for them to build their own kingdom, but their highest joy was all that God did with them to advance his kingdom. And so what would it look like at the end of our days, right? Maybe, maybe even transit church. Like one of the reasons we want to gather that member meeting is we want, to, we want to look back and we want to do what the church at Antioch did this past year and just come together and share some testimonies of what God has like truly done, like his kingdom coming. And, and there's story after story we could share of Holy Spirit coming upon someone in a coffee shop uh, in, in crazy power to the point that they can barely even drive uh, out of the parking garage. They don't know Jesus, but then they give their lives to Jesus. We could share story after story of, of, of people being uh, healed through our prayer and ministry team, of demonic affliction, and even stage four cancer, someone who doesn't go to our church, but like all these lumps in her head completely gone for the glory of God. Uh, prophetic dreams given, all these things, story after story. And that's, what, that's, like, that's the refrain that we want, right, in our lives, that God is really among us. And if God is really among us, then he's actively really moving and stirring things that we're not just... Should, uh, we're not just putting on a production, a Christian production as a church. We're coming together to worship and serve the living God who's actively at work in our lives, setting us free to be agents of reconciliation and redemption to those around us. Amen? Story after story. That's what we want to live for. And it seems as if Paul's greatest joy in life was not the absence of difficult circumstances in his life. His greatest joy was the presence of Jesus in any circumstance he found. His, his, his joy was not rooted circumstantially in just the absence of hardship in his life. He didn't reorient his life. He didn't reorient his life to avoid danger and trials. No, he says, where Jesus is going, I want to go. I want the presence of Christ. Philippians, I have learned to be content in with any situation God throws my way. Why? Because he has the presence of Jesus with him. He has the presence of Christ with him and what we learn in scripture when our greatest joy is anchored in knowing our savior and abiding in him and fellowshipping with the living god by the spirit then our joy is firmly rooted and anchored in something that tribulation can never take from us when our greatest joy is anchored in knowing our savior and the depths of his love on a daily minute by minute second by second basis then our joy is firmly rooted and anchored in something that trials can never take from us. And so in your life, when I ask you today, in our lives, what is our greatest source of joy? God is after your joy. God created joy, created to like, go read John Piper, anything John Piper writes, right? The chief end of your life is to glorify God, how? By enjoying him forever. Showing the world that he's supremely valuable and treasure, and, and the supreme treasure that you possess. What, what is, let me, let me reframe it. What is the well you're running to in your tribulation for joy? to medicate the pain. What's the, trip, what's the well? Jesus says if you come to him, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, a never-ending well of the spirit that will strengthen and encourage you. Where in your tribulation are you running for joy that only Jesus can bring you? John 15, you have, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that my joy can become your joy and your joy may be filled, full, filled to the fullness, right? God is after your joy. And I had this picture as I was praying before my talk this morning. I think oftentimes the well we run to subconsciously, and band, you can come forward. I'm going to wrap up here. Is uh, I just had this picture. I was just praying over the congregation, just asking even in my, in my own heart and in our lives, where are we going for joy? And I just simply saw this picture of someone just on their phone, just flipping, scrolling, flipping, scrolling. And I feel like God's heart for us today is say, do I not have so much more to offer you than what a couple of apps can offer you? The living God. Knowing the living God is so much better than scrolling Instagram for hours. Knowing and seeking the living God is so much better than binging on the news. By the way, it's always going to be bad news until Jesus comes back. It's not going to change. It's not. So how much, how much are we running to this where, man, I'm doing the classic Macarena for my phone. I don't even have it up here. Thank you, Jesus, so I can't be distracted. But how much are we just missing out? Oftentimes we focus on the big sins. What if it's just this subtle, oh, I just checked my phone 92 times today because I got email, I got text, I got WhatsApp, I got Signal, I got Facebook, I got the news, you know, all this stuff. And we just, we just do that. And, 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 and the greatest threat to our walk with Jesus isn't some conspiracy theory or, or some of this other stuff. It's just, frankly, that we're too busy and distracted to actually hear the voice of God and seek his presence. 
when Jesus is crying out, I got so much better water to give you. I got more joy than you can handle. And I got news, I got news for us, and even in my own life, that when we're going in tribulation and suffering, those wells, those broken cisterns will not satisfy your souls. They will not comfort you. They will not satisfy you. But when we turn from those idols and we throw ourselves on the floor and we seek the living God in the midst of our pain, in the midst of my why me prayers where we think God's gonna strike us with lightning because we're kind of indicting him, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and we experience God like we've never experienced him before. And so turn off your phones, lock those things up, delete some apps, but begin to seek God. God promises in James 4, he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Come to me, to the fountain of living water. Stop wasting your life on trifles. In your tribulation, what well are you running to? What is your greatest source of joy? And when Jesus becomes, and we double down and we anchor uh, the deepness of our roots of our inner man in joy in Christ and our Savior in the gospel, it doesn't matter as much circumstantially what happens because we have Jesus and he can never be taken from us. That precious gift of salvation, that precious gift of deliverance, that precious gift of his presence with us both in the green pastures and yes, in the valley of the shadow of death. So let me close with 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And this last line here, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what Peter presents to the church. He says, trials of various kinds, and yet thanks be to God, inexpressible joy in the midst of that trial. And so right now, I just wanna go silent. I wanna give you guys an opportunity to go to your king love to comfort you in your trial. Maybe some of you, uh, the trials are various that we walk through. Some of the things I've walked through aren't going to be the same and vice versa. And I know for a fact that just through pastoring y'all and counseling some of you, that you guys are going through some difficult seasons, some confusing seasons. And it's okay. It's okay to, 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 to wrestle with doubt and to ask God why me, but I want to slow down and I'll slowly close this in prayer, but I'm going to go quiet and I want you to go to your king and take the empty cup of your heart that's filled maybe with grief and confusion and despair and take that mess to Jesus who makes who does a beauty does his best work in the messy of situations messiest of situations so I want to give you opportunity bow your heads eyes closed ignore your kids let them run around and posture your hearts to your king and ask him to comfort you to speak into this to guide you in and through whatever trial you're through the trials, hope of glory. 
that this is just a, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, when we survey eternity, this is a snap of the fingers. It's a quick journey to you. It's a pinprick in regards to the pleasure of your presence forever that we're going to experience. Instill with us fortitude and steadfastness and grateful hearts. Help us to do what is impossible in the flesh. What is possible in your spirit to rejoice in the midst of our tribulation. In the midst of a world that's on fire with pandemics and division and hostility and uh, economy being shaken and joblessness. said in John 16 that my peace I give to you that in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have overcome the world and so Lord today we firmly fix our faith in you we fix our eyes on you this is about you our lives are about you uh, we bring you glory and, and when our lives are healthy and, and are thriving we praise your name and, and we also bless your name in seasons of pain and sorrow and suffering and we say God be glorified and magnified in that Give us opportunities, Lord God, to encourage others to share our faith with the lost and the dying and the hopeless, Lord God. And open up our eyes to see how truly blessed we are in you, Jesus, how truly amazing we have it in you, God, that we have you, Jesus, the hope of glory and salvation forever. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So we bless your name. Thank you, God. After thick and thin, you are with us promising never to leave us. And in John 10, you say that nothing and no one will snatch us out of your hand. So we bless your name. And we sing praise to your King in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.